in five, four, three, two, one. Welcome to our spooky podcast. (laughs) (laughs) We're the podcast where we talk about the latest and greatest in scary history. Yay! Yay. (laughs) I even got the counted. Yeah. The five, four, three, two, one. I love that. Well, you know, the mm-hmm. three, two, one is supposed to be silent. You're just oh. supposed to count it. Yeah. Like that, start, yeah. Uh, how, hold up three fingers. Letter three for me. <gasps> the letter three. Is that what you do? Now, yeah. What did you used to do before? Apparently, now we have to teach it like this. Why? I don't know. I don't fucking know. What about this? Uh, what number do you stick up first? <laughs> <laughs> Pinky now. <laughs> Look at this fancy one. <laughs> when in doubt. Let's start with this. One. <laughs> Ring finger. <laughs> two. Three. <laughs> one, two, <laughs> three, four, five. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. No. One, mm-hmm. two, <laughs> three, three, four, five. Okay. Or one, two, three. Oh, no. Oh my god. That's filthy. That's filthy. You're filthy. What a this shock. It's a visual podcast now and we don't explain any <laughs> visual stuff. Wherever you're just counting in different ways, they're like, okay, so the boys are just counting on a podcast. That's interesting. Let's ask the audience. Hey, listeners, what finger do you put up first when you start counting on your hands? Show us in a reaction video how you can- There's a poll. There's a there's a Google Doc. In the in the show notes, and I'd like and you to show us there and send a picture, or just send uh send a voicemail and tell us one two three four five. We'll get a Venmo account, and you can send one dollar for the thumb, uh-huh. two dollars for the index finger, three for the middle finger. No, that's a, that's five. Fifteen <laughs> for the middle finger. There you go. Yeah, there you go. Uh, a couple cents for the ring. If finger. people counted like that, I I would dare. I would give them that money. It's like, yeah, if you start counting like that, every single time, it's like one, two. I would start, and then I'd have to go to both fingers. I'd do both hands at the same time. One, so one two, two, three, four. Three, four. <laughs> yeah, and I then I'd that. put both of those. Uh-huh. Started the pinkies. Five, five six. <laughs> Yeah. Mm-hmm. One, two, three, four, five. <laughs> five, six. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That makes sense. I think that'll work. Yeah. I love that. It's very unique for us, you know? Well, I think that's the um, European style of counting with your fingers. I don't know any Europeans. Polish people. That's how Polish people do it. No, they just shine shoes. No, they do nails. They make the 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 paint for your nails. The nail, nail polish. polish. <laughs> See, I went with shoe polish, but sure. Yeah, nail polish. <laughs> we, we they're cobblers. I saw polish that. cobblers. There was a nail salon called Polish, and I was like, "What do they think? What did, what kind of food did they serve at a Polish restaurant?" And nobody thought it was funny. No. Well, it was just Thomas that would have got it. The girls would be like, "I don't know. I don't know. What do they serve? French fries." <laughs> Not in France. Remember that time in our lives that they tried to make freedom fries, freedom yeah. fries, or America, uh, America fries, or whatever. I think they're freedom fries. fries. Liberty, like really, because French fries aren't American enough. Because France didn't want to get in the Iraq War. Mm-hmm. 
America, right? They had weapons of mass destruction. Where? Where Where are they? I didn't see any. You know, and the Iraqs. <laughs> and George uh, W. W. George W. And his nucle- nuclear. 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 Weapons of mass destruction. Mm-hmm. Nuclear weapons of mass destruction. Yeah. I love that. I remember my eighth grade teacher, we had a, we were doing a project about nuclear energy and he made it a huge point that it's like, it is not nuclear as you hear some people say, and you're going to be saying that. And I look back and I'm like, oh, that was my first, like, obviously liberal teacher. Good for him. I also had my sixth grade <clears throat> IPC teacher. Mm. She, is that typing? No. What is IPC? Introduction to Physics and Chemistry. Yeah. I don't know what that means. Uh, anyways, she hated all of us. That's a good teacher. <laughs> well, I think all the kids were pretty much assholes, but she just got so fed up. <laughs> and I was like, I can't imagine what it's like to have to live her, her life. Her name was Miss Broom. Oh. And, uh, yeah, she did that same spiel. She was like, it's not nuclear, it's nuclear! Good for her. Nuclear! And then all the kids laughed. Because she, she was... I hated it. Yeah. <laughs> She was have, uh, having an obvious uh, breakdown, and the kids are like, <laughs> I love that. You know, children are just so fun. She had picked up a Marvel apple one time, and she like acted like she was going to throw it. Like a glass apple? Like a stone apple. Yeah. Yeah. She should have done it. I, I don't know who she was throwing it at, but they probably deserved it. Wait, she did it at... Towards the kid? Yeah. <laughs> oh. Wow. I think about her sometimes. Well, I mean, we're doing it right now. We're reminiscing on her. Mm. I have to think back. There was one substitute teacher that made me piss my pants in th- second grade. Because she wouldn't let me go to the bathroom. Because it was 10 minutes. Because I waited until the absolute last minute to go to the bathroom. Because I was busy playing computers. Um, and uh, I was like, I got to go. And she was like, you, we're moving in 10 minutes. You can hold it. And I was like. No, I can't. So I peed my pants. And then she laughed at you. Yes. She's like, ha ha. Yeah. Your pants are wet. You, you also left the, a puddle in your chair. So a puddle in the chair? Yeah. I had to pee that much. In the second grade? Yes, it was embarrassing. I can't believe that. Could you believe? I couldn't. I could not believe. Literally, I could not. Come on, Mimi. Change your costume. Change your costume, Mimi. Change it around. Mm-hmm. So it's been a while. I know. I haven't seen you in a while. No, I mean, I have seen you. I just we haven't seen you and I, <clears throat> you know, on a microphone together. I've been so busy. Mm, yeah, okay. You haven't been busy. No, not, no. It's, nope. Every time I ask you, I'm like, I'm not, I'm free. You just dropped the ball. Yeah. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm just sitting at home, just... Eating bonbons. Yeah. Oh, I have Oreo cookies. I'm going to eat those. Uh, <laughs> hot take. Oh. I don't like Oreos. Okay. And I don't You're think wrong. You should either. <laughs> Is there a reason for... Uh... I just don't think they're that good. Oh, like, you, oh my God, they're so you make good. your own homie cookies and you're no, if so I'm, good. No, if I'm going to have a store-bought cookie, it's not going to be Oreos. Are going to get Hydrox? No, I'm going to get Nutter Butters or something. Ew. I don't like Nutter Butters. I love peanut butter. I don't. Also, my <laughs> classroom. <laughs> I know. I like peanut butter. Um, Definitely not I just, Chips Ahoy, though. 
No. Chocolate chip Those things cookies destroy, in a package, destroy my mouth. <laughs> they are made of glass, mm -hmm. and they don't taste good. No. No. I've never liked chips before. Except maybe the soft ones, the chewy ones. But then I have to wonder what's in them, that they are... Chewy, and they stay floppy. chewy. Yeah. You know, this is an um, uh, unpopular opinion, but you know those cookies that you get around, like, Valentine's Day, the the from the bakery that are not like fresh baked cookies, but they're like just the really soft sugar dough with that icing on top that's just like cakey. I hate those. They're disgusting. Oh, I love them. You are disgusting. I know. I really like them. I don't know why. The ones that they're obviously made out of sand. Oh yeah, absolutely. They turn a sand just wet sand in your mouth. That's the best part. <laughs> My mouth is dry. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, that's, I I enjoy them. I don't know I don't know why. And well, it's obviously because you're white trash. I mean, we knew that, Mr. White Trash. I should put a label on my trash can. I need a label maker. You should put get a label that. maker. Put that on my list. Label maker. Ladle maker. It's, makes it's ladles and people will get you a ladle maker. There we go. Like, oh my god, this doesn't make labels. It's another ladle. Label. Mecker. Love it. How big do you think a ladle maker machine would be? Is it like tabletop device or like a fax machine size? Well, what are we making them out of? Plastic? Uh, no, there's a little man inside that makes them out of wood. Yeah. It's a nymph. Okay. It Is doesn't nymph a, a slur? I don't think so. I thought it's like fairy. Well, that's gay people. Is that the new gay slur? Is nymph? <laughs> No, I just meant. <laughs> I'm gonna make that happen if it's not. <laughs> you stupid nymph! <laughs> Come on, nymph! <laughs> Someone's gonna just Work think that you're calling out. them like a sex addict. Uh, yeah, um, nymph, I mean. So, <laughs> is that a slur for someone who likes sex too much? No, it's like a fairy. Yeah, like a little, a, a little. I still feel like it's a wood slur. Elf, a wood nymph. You're an ugly ass wood nymph. We're gonna make it. <laughs> a wood nymph is different. That's very different. A nymph is just like. Eh. That's definitely oh, a gay thing. Way. Yeah. A wood nymph is like. Whoa! <laughs> you are really a into. <laughs> you are a dick pig. Damn. All right. I like that. <laughs> it was just a question. I was just curious. Well, me too. That's why. Well. So if there's a wooden in the box, then making ladles. Anyways. <laughs> yeah, so how big is the machine? Uh-huh. Is, is it like a Keebler elf? It's the whole tree? They make cookies. <laughs> well, he makes the ladles out of his house. <laughs> <laughs> so he just starts taking pieces, so then the house is de just falls apart? Yeah. And there's just a thin veneer of bark on the outside. He's like, no more ladles. No, please. I can't. I knock can't. on it. And the it all falls over. Mm. And like, you're like, one more ladle. And then he... he, he... <laughs> <laughs> and then he just can't survive. Yeah, we, we're uh, creating unhoused nymphs. I'm going to write a book for children about this. About unhoused nymphs? No, about... Yeah, about an elf in a treehouse that makes uh, ladles for you out of his house. It's about late stage capitalism. It really? Oh, that's good. What is it, Animal Farm? Uh, yeah, but with more wood nymphs. Okay. With more dick pigs. More dick. <laughs> <laughs> um. 
I love that. I'm writing this down. <laughs> what you been thinking about? Oh, um, I assume that that means that you're still not on the Twitters. I'm not on the Twitters. I'm not on the Twitters. Okay. There's uh, there's been some fun memes. Um, trends right now are uh, best moments in drag, uh, uh, RuPaul's Drag Race history, and of course, you know, there's all sorts of classic ones, um, like. The, Such as the one that we just quoted with Mimi on first. Mm-hmm. Uh, Shangela, of course, good one. The lip sync between Alyssa and Tati- uh, Tatiana. Um, Alyssa writing her notes. Um, uh, also, a good one. Oh, um, uh, yeah, I mean, Roxy, I can't. <laughs> the, the, the internet is uh, uh, wild with all sorts of different ones. And then uh, different moments, they're like, well, this is not like on the actual show, but you know, the one. With peppermint, it's fashion. Is it fashion? It, it's really? fashion. <laughs> oh, okay, but is it fashion? It's fashion. <laughs> um, are you watching the season? Yeah. Fourteen. Fifteen. Fifteen. <laughs> Wait, is it fifteen? I think. So. Yes, because season thirteen was the one with uh, Candy Moose. Candy Moose. And then season fourteen was the one that uh, Will Will Pill. Willow pill. Willow pill. It's not a big pill. It's a willow pill. We've only been watching the pit stop. And Bianca's been Not the episode? Yep. Only the pit stop. Hmm. All right. (laughs) Wouldn't it be worse if I said, we're only watching what you pack in? Uh, That would be even better. (laughs) Just every queen that goes home and just Michelle. I have no idea what you did, but I'm happy to see you. No go. idea what you did to deserve being sent home, but good for you. Michelle's looking like a cat on those little. She's like, "Do you want to see all the RuPaul's Drag Race? Do TV? you like gay shit?" Yeah, and she's like, "Mm-hmm." Sucking lemons. Oh yeah. Um. Yeah, I've, I've been watching the the episodes. They did Snatch Game last week, and um. There were good people on it. There were, you know, obviously bad ones. Um, but it was super short because they did two Snatch Games because there's 14 people still left. And it was only an hour long because of that stupid gay show that they keep trying to make us watch afterwards, too. Oh, there's a, what? The Real House Friends of WeHo or whatever it's called. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Do you remember what was the other one? The A? The A-List. A-List. Yeah, I never watched that one, but. Nobody wants to watch gay people. No. Especially famous gay people that are already famous and have a lot of money and too much plastic surgery. It's like none of us give a shit about that. They're like, oh, we, uh, Todrick is going absolutely berserk because everyone's destroying him. They're like, no, we just don't like you. Like. Oh, he's on the show? Yes. Mm Mm-hmm. Hanny. I'm like, hey, you trying to make money so you can pay those dancers back? No. He ain't gonna pay those dancers. He ain't gonna pay those dancers? He never gonna pay those dances. If I'm gonna watch a show of gay people living their lives, I'm, I want to watch regular gay people. That's what the the, the Twitter sphere keeps talking about these things, and uh, they said <clears throat> what you should really do is go follow the lives of some gays that hang out at a local gay bar in you know buttfuck middle of nowhere, uh, and you know follow their lives, see how their lives are. <laughs> I want that, or I want it to be like. Trendy New York gays. Mm-hmm. One of them owns an art gallery. The other one uh, does a lot of meth. For real. Like actual friends. And the third one 
Never answers the phone when you call. Wakes up at 9 p.m. But you always see him out of the bar. Mm-hmm. Oh, hey. Oh, hey. Hey, how's it going? Everything okay? I'm just here with some of my friends. Yeah. No, yeah. We really should catch up. We really should. What are you doing here? It's my birthday party. Oh. oh. I must have missed your invite. Uh, no, I texted you seven times today. Oh. Well, my phone got turned off. You know I have Boost Mobile. And, uh, <laughs> and just holding it. <laughs> like. My, yeah, my phone got turned off. I'm on so Facebook, sorry. <laughs> on Instagram, posting pictures. Yay! Yeah, that. That's... Well, quick, let's take a selfie for your birthday, and I'll post it. That would make much more sense. That's what I want. But instead, it's uh, gays that are already famous in Hollywood or doing something, and I'm like, y'all are all boring. And it's all manufactured. Like these people weren't friends before. It's obviously. Television and TV is so fake. <laughs> it's true. Oh, wow. Is that a deep cut? That's a hot take. A hot take. Sorry. I'm really into deep cuts, but that's a hot take. Oh, my God. So what you been thinking about? Nothing. Oh. Literally nothing. Oh, I haven't thought about anything ever. so sad. I've been thinking about, um, you know, reading and writing. Reading and writing is what I'm into right now. Mm-hmm. How's that going? Good. I finished a book uh, yesterday. Like writing? No, reading. Oh, reading. Okay. I'm reading and writing. Oh, okay. So you're into, you finished reading. And divination. I'm really into divination. All right. I'm doing uh, jewels right now. Not jewels. What are they? The crystals. J-U-U-L-S. Jewels. I'm into vaping. Where's my jewel? Have you seen my jewel? Do you remember that bop? Mm Mm-mm. Oh. That's a good one. Is it the selfie in the bathroom uh, song by the Chainsmokers? No, it's different. At first, let me take a But it, it came out around the same time. Really? Mm-hmm. Two thousand twelve. Did that? There were jewels back then. Yeah, huh. I think so. I could have been smoking. We could have been smoking jewels back then. We would have been so ahead of the time. I know. And now everyone does it. And <sighs> I, I look at it and I'm like, oh, I'm too old for this now. <laughs> I can't pick that up as a hobby. I've got so many other ones now. Intravenous drugs. Mm. I could pick that up. <laughs> well, well, you know what? I well, that. <laughs> I don't think so. That's a good idea. Uh, yeah, I can't really see my veins, so I can. Your skin is white as paper. <laughs> I can see directly through you. <laughs> it's, it's honestly iconic that you look like a window. <laughs> it's very just clear. You look like a very old window, but still. <laughs> A stained glass window. From <laughs> you look like a the Virgin Mary. <laughs> the Virgin Mary that you know they put up in behind churches, but ugly <laughs> and not pregnant, and but no, still kind of like a woman. <laughs> okay, not pregnant, but not with a baby. <clears throat> not with a baby. That's food. Pregnant, but with food. Mm, yes. Water burger. Wow, are you ready to? Um... Oh, welcome to the podcast. We start recording. <laughs> We've been recording for 20 minutes. Oh, my God. I told you. I got your count in. Oh, yeah. It starts with 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Yeah. As all podcasts do. 5, 4, <laughs> one, back to... 2, 3, 4. <laughs> so when it. you count down, you just have to go. All right. <laughs> in 5. Wait, yeah. 4, five, three, four. Two, one. Exactly. Go. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Love it. We figured it out. Um, I'm going to try that next time that we do uh, Let's Talk About Gay Stuff. No. Okay. Maybe. I'll think about it. Okay. Fine. Um, so we're still 
still on this goddamn iceberg. Mm-hmm. We're on tier nine, right? Yeah, but I'm so tired of it. <laughs> We're almost done. How many more do we have to do? <laughs> this is a few more. Probably like four. <laughs> That's like four. <laughs> a piece. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Let me see. Let me just, I, just I pull on was, over. There was one on there that we'd already done. Just you pull on over and just, just look at this. All right, so we've got Benjamin Atkins, uh, Tsutomu Miyazaki, Irville LeBaron, uh, Adolfo Costanzo, Bevan Spencer von Einem. Uh, that's who I'm doing today. The Monster of Florence is who I'm doing today. The Oakland County Child Killer. And the zebra murders. That's the one I wanted to pick was the zebra murders, but I said that guy's got my name. Spencer. And um, not German, if you'll believe that. French. No. Austrian. Would you like me to begin? Sweden. Would you like me to begin? Finland. No. Finland doesn't exist. It's not a place that you would guess. Agartha. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> yes, please tell me. So I'm going to talk about uh, Beaven Spencer von Einem, because he's from Australia. What the fuck? Yeah. Okay, fine. Um, so there was not a lot of information about his youth, mm-hmm. just about the murder. Okay. So we're just going to get right to it. I mean, I don't even have a person that I'm talking about, so. Yours is a book? No. Yours is a ghost? Yeah. I love that. And I have eight pages on it. About a ghost? No, it's not about a ghost. You tricked me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so a surprised. ghost? <laughs> you got me. I'm like the, the baby that you're like, ooh. <laughs> I'm oh, like, oh, what yeah, the, where the fuck? fuck did you <laughs> <laughs> That's some scary shit. <laughs> ooh, Sandy, I'm scared, Sandy. girl. <laughs> um, so at approximately 6.15 on June 5th of 1983. I was born then. In 1983? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to be 40 this year? 40, 40. Eh. Fuck it up. <laughs> um, von Einem, 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 Einem. Uh, likely along with another unknown person, abducted Richard Dallas Kelvin. Oh. Uh, he was the son of Rob Kelvin, a longtime television news presenter for Adelaide Station NWS9. Uh, near the intersection of Margaret Street and Pepper Tree Lane in North Adelaide, uh, which was just about 60 meters from his house, um, around the corner in Ward Street. He Kel- got abducted from only being a... 60 meters from his house. Oh, yeah. shit. Uh, Kelvin had just seen off a friend at a nearby bus stop on the corner of O'Connell and Marion Streets. Uh, North Adelaide after... Marion Streets, North Adelaide. After they earlier in the afternoon played football... Football. Football. Oh. Uh, in a nearby park and was expected to return home immediately for dinner. A witness, a security guard living in Margaret Street, had heard cries for help, car doors slamming, and a car with a noisy exhaust speeding away. Kelvin was wearing a dog collar around his neck, which may have attracted Von Einem's attention. Um, and despite a wide-ranging search by police, extensive media coverage that included a full-page missing poster in the Advertiser on the 28th of June. Advertiser? 
Anyway, let's keep going. Okay. Um, that offered a $5,000 reward by the state government two days after his disappearance. Uh, it quickly tripled to $15,000 a week later. Numerous tips and possible sightings provided by the public uh, in the weeks after Kevin's Kelvin's whereabouts were unknown until his clothed body was found seven weeks later by a geologist searching for moss rocks with his family on the 24th of July, 1983. So it was over a month. Before they found him. Before they found the body. Um, alongside a dirt airstrip near One Tree Hill. It's the name of a city near Adelaide in Australia. I hate that so much. And I looked it up, and it has nothing to do with the show. Um, I'm sure that that city, town, gets that like, constantly. We're One Tree Hill. <laughs> That's what they named it after? That's Even though it's based in what, California? <laughs> Um, little effort was put into concealing Kelvin's body. He was found wearing the same Channel 9 t-shirt, blue jeans, and white Adidas sneakers, which he wore on the day of his abduction. Um, together with a dog collar fitted around his neck. Uh, his body had been washed prior to being, uh, redressed and then was placed, found in a fetal position. With his bent, legs bent toward his chest and his head forwards and his arms wrapped around his legs. Uh, it made the police suspect that Kelvin had been dumped by a single person, most likely after nightfall to avoid detection. Um, the autopsy and the body was still fine after a month. Oh yeah. Oh boy. Um, the autopsy revealed that Kelvin had most likely died from a massive blood loss from anal injuries. Possibly from insertion of blunt objects with a tapered neck, such as beer bottles. Oh, that shit. That had suffered bruising and injuries from the blows to his head, to the left side of his back, and also his right buttock. As well as a fractured front tooth, which occurred either just before or just after death. Analysis of his bloodstream revealed traces of alcohol and five hypnotic drugs. Mandrax, Noctec, Anatol, Valium, and Rohypnol. With Mandrax being regulated by the Central Board of Health in 1978, stocks for it in Australia had declined somewhat by 1983, and police began sifting through prescriptions of the drug in particular. Um, during the search, they found prescription for Mandrax issued to B. von Einem, a name familiar to police as he had been questioned previously over the deaths of three young men and alleged sexual assaults of another. For days, uh, four days after Richard Kelvin's body was discovered, Von Einem was questioned by the police about the murder. Initially, he claimed that he had not seen Kelvin and had no knowledge of his whereabouts and stated that the night of his abduction, he'd been in the bed with flu and was off work for the next week. The police searched his home in northern Adelaide, uh, a suburb of Paradise, and seized a bottle of Mandrax. Von Einem admitted that the drugs were his and said that he needed them to help him sleep. Uh, he denied having any other drugs in his possessions, but they also found a bottle of Noctec concealed on a ledge behind his wardrobe. Von Einem also allowed the police to take hair and blood samples as well as carpets and other materials for testing. There were three major factors in Von Einem's initial questioning that led police to become increasingly suspicious that they had found their prime subject. Uh, when they knocked on his door and inquired about whether they could ask him a few questions, and meet, his immediate reaction was, I'm not going to say anything until I have a lawyer. <laughs> Girl, you guilty. Second, um, 
when questioned about the murder, he said, I don't, I don't have anything to do with it. I would never do anything like that because it's unethical. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, the comment. It, that's what you is say. It, oh, it's unethical to kill someone, right? <laughs> no, I would never do that. That's unethical. <laughs> okay, girl. You found a murdered boy uh-huh. um, who looks like he's been anally uh, raped. That's unethical. That, that's unethical. Um, and then when asked about drugs, he admitted to Mandrax and was asked if he kept any other drugs. And then he said no. And they found the Noctec. And then he, they were like, what's this then? And he's like, oh, I, re- I don't use those. And then why do you have it? Those. Um, so as von Einem went on holiday to the Soviet Union... And the United Kingdom during August and September of 1983, so right after... Chernobyl? <laughs> the Soviet Union, if there's any police yeah. in there. What the fuck? <laughs> right after the police were like, hey... And let me just go to uh, Soviet Russia. That's in the, the middle of the Cold War. I'm going to stay here. Uh-huh. Um, so the case against him began to mount up. Forensic investigators were able to match the many fibers found in Kevin, Kelvin's clothing. I keep saying Kevin. There's that one L in there. Clevin. Kelvin's clothing to uh, those taken from Von Einem's home, along with hairs found, which matched those belonging to him. So they found matching hairs and the carpets matching. Um, forensics also determined that Kelvin was murdered between 8th of July and 11th of July, 1983, and was dumped at the airstrip no later than the 11th. However, police raids on various locations around Adelaide linked Von Einem and his associates yielded few clues. Police searched for a man who previously claimed uh, to police during the investigation of the unsolved murder of Alan Barnes in 1979 that Von Einem had also been involved in his death and that he was a former associate. Barnes' fatal energy in- in- injuries mirrored those of Kelvin's very closely. The man known as Mr. B was located and informed police in great detail of how he and von item had picked up young male hitchhikers given them alcoholic drinks laced with hypnotic drugs and had taken them to von item's previous home in adelaide suburb of campbellton where the young men were abused overnight and then released the next day mr b also provided further information about his other associates of von item but claimed he took no part in whatsoever in any murders Police questioned other people whom Von Einem had associated with, but they volunteered little information. With the evidence, along with the information from Mr. B, uh, to indicate that Kelvin was not at Von Einem's home around the time of his death, they arrested and charged Von Einem with the murder on the 3rd of November, 1983, and he still denied ever coming into contact with Kelvin. <laughs> Even though they're like, we have all of this evidence, but no. We have somebody who said that you probably did it. Yeah. Yeah. All the drugs that he has were on your house. We found house. everything, yes. We found your hair. <laughs> and he said, no. No, no. Wasn't there. Hmm. Um, the committal hearing to determine if there was a sufficient evidence for Von Einem to stand trial on the murder began on the 20th of February, 1984. Uh, faced with irrefutable evidence from prosecutors that Kelvin had been in his company, Von Einem suddenly changed his story. Um, and he was like, oh, wait, yeah, no, I was in contact with him <laughs> on okay. that night. Uh, I was driving along the street looking for a parking spot in order to go get some supper. Um, and then when I was uh, found a parking spot, uh, I nearly ran over Kelvin because he was jogging um, and he was just coming into the After street. After saying, no, I, no, I don't have any of that. 
don't have any idea who this person mm-hmm. is. Um, and then he was like, I thought that he was bisexual. And we had a conversation um, about Kelvin's been having some problems at school. And then he got into my car and then we went to my house. <laughs> <laughs> and then, um, yeah, he said, how did how, the police were like, how did the how did your carpet fibers end up on his clothes? And he was like, um, it, how did your uh, car, your bed fibers, how did they get on his clothes? And he was like, well, <laughs> he came over and then uh, we sat on my bed and we played with my large gold harp. He actually had a large gold harp. Um, uh, the police were like, yeah, we saw that. Yeah, we, big, we saw that you've got harp a, in your room. a giant gold harp. Um, and then he was like, yeah. And so I put my shoulder, my arm around his shoulder and hugged him because he was upset about how he was being bullied at school. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's how my fibers and hair and everything got on him. And so then, But he'd never met him. And then two hours, I left him. <clears throat> I, I dropped him off at, in Adelaide Town Center two hours after mm-hmm. that. And I gave him 20 bucks so that he could get the bus home. Mm-hmm. Very believable. No, oh, absolutely. Don't you think? To go from, no, I've never, I don't know who this is, to, oh, yeah, he was at my house and I played the heart for him. And I consoled him. <laughs> I consoled a stranger uh-huh. two hours after uh-huh. meeting him. Yeah. About him being bullied at school. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, you just tell that to everybody. I mean, I do, but yeah. I only share it with murderers. Oh, yeah. Very, very clearly. People that I, uh, that have abducted me. Yeah. Specifically. Um, uh, so after his <laughs> alibi <laughs> and version of events were told. Yeah. Um, they were like, there's two problems with that. <laughs> um, Just two. First Only of two. all, <laughs> you said that you had the flu on July or June 5th. And so we just don't know about um, how you were able to get out of bed all of a sudden now and have uh, this big conversation and play the giant ass harp. <laughs> the harp is sending me. <laughs> Everyone's got one. <laughs> um, and then they were like, but we also don't like that um, you have a, there's a lot of your uh, clothing and fibers and his, your carpet and bed sheets on him. Uh, not enough for the, them to accumulate within two hours. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we think we're going to go ahead and have you stand trial for this. Yeah. So he, he, it sounds like this body was uh, there for some time. So he's like, what? Girl, no. So then the trial against Von Einem for the murder of Kelvin opened at the Supreme Court building in South Wales or South Australia on the 15th of October, 1984 before justice, Mr. Justice White, uh, related not to my knowledge i don't think i know anyone in australia well you need to look them up um a jury of 12 people seven women and five men was selected agreed upon by the prosecution and defense von einem pled not guilty and his defense was led by barrister barry jennings who assisted uh, was assisted by helena jasinski jasinski um, who had been von einem's solicitor from the start of the police investigation of him in the murder during the previous year. Prosecution was led by Brian Martin QC, uh, Queen's Counsel, later the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court of the Northern Territory, with assistance from Paul Rofe, Queen's Counsel. Um, for the pre- prosecution, it was a matter of proving von Einem's guilt 
by presenting strong scientific evidence that had been gathered during the investigation and disproving Von Einem's story of being in contact with Kelvin on the night of June 5th. For the defense, it was a case of trying to make Von Einem's story hold up in court, raising doubts about his ability to keep Calvin captive for five weeks and to committing the murder. Uh, the prosecution opened their case with the jury being taken into various sites around Adelaide that were important in the trial. Over the first week, they called various witnesses to the stand. Calvin's parents, girlfriend, and best friend were called to testify that Calvin was an average 15-year-old who would not willingly get into a car with a stranger was heterosexual with no homosexual or bisexual tendencies, and that he had been wearing the dog collar as a joke. People Are you sure? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> People living close to the Kelvins had then testified that they heard noises and a commotion corresponding to the abduction taking place on the night of June 5th, around 6 o'clock. Forensic pathologists were called to testify about the injuries to Kelvin's head and arms, or head and anus, um, and the likely cause of his death. Pharmacists gave evidence of excessive amounts of different hypnotic drugs, which von Einem had been prescribed, 5,872 tablets and capsules of six different brands of drugs between the 15th of December 1978 and the 10th of August 1983. That's a lot of that's pills. That's a lot of pills. I mean, that's a lot of years, too. Five yeah. Five years, but that's five, 6,000 tablets of yeah. pills. Um, and they showed that Von Item had often had prescriptions for drugs issued from three different chemists on the same day or during the same week. So he would go and get, he'd take his prescription and use it at multiple places and get doubles of the, triples of the drugs. I love that. I love that you could also just go to a different pharmacy and be like, oh yeah, here's my paper prescription. Let me show you. And the, the pharmacist doesn't keep it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so various police officers who worked on the case testified that their investigation of Von Einem, uh, since they had first questioned him about the murder, as well as their visit to Von Einem's home, where police officers claimed that Von Einem's bedroom appeared to have been cleaned extensively. Mm. Forensic scientists were called next to give evidence first on when Kelvin had died and when his body had been dumped in the Adelaide Hills area. And a leading entomologist claimed that the larva cycle of flies that were on the body uh, compared to the larva cycle of flies on a dead dog that was nearby, uh, stated that most his body must have been dumped besides the airstrip on the 10th of July, 1983. Uh, other forensic scientists were called to testify about the hair and fiber samples collected that were linked to Von Einem in his home. Hairs from Von Einem were found on the inside of Kelvin's clothing and from and of 925 fiber samples found on Calvin's clothing, 250 of them came from Von Einem's home environment, with just seven from Calvin's home. Oh my gosh. So that shows how long all these items were in his house. His house. Yeah. Um, the scientists stated that if Von Einem's story was true, then there should be a very small amount or even none of the fibers and hair samples from that night still on Kelvin's clothing some 36 hours later, mm -hmm. let alone five weeks later. Faced with such damning evidence, the defense tried to counter during the cross-examination by floating a possible theory that Von Einem's last contact with Kelvin had been he had, after his contact with Kelvin, he had been abducted by other people who had stored his clothing for five weeks before murdering him and then redressing him. Yes. It wasn't him. It was somebody else that took him and stored, stored his, his clothes, clothes safely for five in weeks. a bag or something like that for five weeks before dressing him back in these clothes. And then dumping them. Uh-huh. Um, 
while the forensic scientists conceded that this was possible <laughs> uh, under the... I mean, everything is possible, but what's going to be more <laughs> convincing? Likely, yeah. Uh-huh. The During the cross-examination, they concluded that it would still be unlikely, given the whole science of how fibers and hair are transferred. Um, and the prosecution was like, okay, we're done. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I don't have any more, thank you. Yeah. The defense is helping us now. The defense opted for Von Einem to give an unsworn statement. So, <laughs> give a statement, but don't swear to it. So that we can change it if we need to. A statement from the doc rather than given sworn evidence. Uh, in his unsworn statement, he detailed his alibi with what he claimed to have happened between July, June 5th and July 11th. He again claimed that on June 5th, he had picked up Kelvin in North Adelaide, driven him to his home, later dropped him off in Adelaide uh, Town Center. He claimed that he was sick with the flu for the next week, the week after. Uh, oh, yeah, sorry. I got my weeks mixed up of when I was sick. Um, and then did not return to work until June 14. Uh, he was quite sketchy on his activities after that. However, he did remember what he did on July 10. The day the body was dumped on the airstrip, he said that he was at a relative's birthday party with his mother for most of the evening. And after dropping off a friend on the way home, he had gone straight to bed and done work the next day. Oh, yeah, dropping off a friend. You mean a dead body? Mm-hmm. Uh, he also addressed the issue of the noise exhaust on the car heard during the abduction, stating that the exhaust on his Ford Falcon, which he had sold on the 16th of July... You mean right after murdering someone? Mm-hmm. In order to raise money for his overseas trip, mm-hmm. uh, was to less than Soviet Russia. Soviet Russia was less than two years old and in great condition. Mm-hmm. Um, and he closed his unsworn statement by again saying, "I'm innocent." And so then they called more witnesses uh, in an attempt to corroborate his story. Um, they included colleagues and friends who testified to him as being unwell at home during the first week of Kelvin's captivity. Also testifying that the defense, uh, for the defense that, for the defense, what? Also testifying for the defense was the bushwalker. Oh, the, per- the person who po- found the body. Mm. Um, while walking his dogs through the airstrip. Um, the purchaser of Von Einem's Ford Falcon was also uh, questioned and detailed the conditions of the car, and the relative who hosted the party stated that he and his mother had arrived there at 5.30 and left at 10.30. Photographs of Von Einem at the party were also tendered to the court. Finally, the defense called Von Einem's mother to testify about her son's activities over the weekend that Kelvin was kidnapped, and under the cross-examination, the prosecution were able to show inconsistencies between her current testimony compared with her earlier statements about his whereabouts on the weekend of June 4th and 5th. Um, that This definitely weakened the defense's case, which was probably too weak to start. I was going to say, it sounds, uh, especially giving an unsworn statement, that's just so weird to me. <laughs> Like, I just yeah. can't say, I just don't want to swear. I, like, what I'm saying might be false, but... It's <laughs> totally true, but I don't swear because my relationship with God doesn't oh my allow God. me to do that. Oh. People are riding bikes in my neighborhood. But why do they look this way with their, their headlamp? <laughs> I look through all the windows that are open when I pass by a house. That's true, I do too. Um, in their summation, the prosecution stated that the evidence they had presented proved that Von Einem's story was full of lies and inconsistencies, 
and that uh, he did murder with uh, with the help of others, probably Kelvin. Uh, they also stated that nope. his admission that he had picked up Kelvin showed that he was in contact with him on the 5th of June. The fibers and hairs proved that Von Einem was with him at the time, just before and or at the time of death. And that the drugs proved Von Einem was with Kelvin in between those times. Uh, the prosecution also answered doubts, answered the doubts, answered the doubts raised by the defense about when on the 10th of July the body was dumped at the airstrip by suggesting that Von Einem could have dumped the body sometime very late on the 10th of July or very early in the morning of July 11th before going to work. Uh, the defense stated... How could... I mean, first of all, murdering someone, I already can't wrap my mind around the idea of that. But and Dropping the body and, and then just work. Yeah. Do, 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 like, let me just go about my normal life. Like, God. People be psycho. Y yes. <laughs> Uh, the defense stated with their summary that the prosecution had failed to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that Von Eidem was guilty of murder, and they were also not able to establish the exact cause of Kelvin's death, so therefore they must acquit Von Eidem and give him the benefit of the doubt, is what the defense is saying. Oh. I thought you were saying that was the final ruling. I was oh, like, no. what? Justice White then gave a summation at the end of the trial. and the early afternoon of the 5th of November, the jury retired to consider the verdict. After seven and a half hours, they returned and said, yeah, definitely guilty. Um, he was sentenced to life at Yalata Labor Prison. Um, and then the uh, judge imposed a non-parole period of 24 years. Under South Australian law, the third, a third of the non-parole period could be taken off for good behavior in, in prison. Uh, based on the reckoning, he could have conceivably been eligible for, for parole in late 1999. Uh, but then the Eternal General of South Australia was like, no, we're going to need to increase that. So they took it to appeal and they increased it to 36 years, uh, a record at the time. Um, so the earliest that Von Einem could be released on parole was uh, October 31st, 2007. Um, and his defense team appealed the conviction to the criminal uh Court of Appeals in South Australia requesting that a new trial be set. Basis of the appeal was the evidence given about Kelvin's heterosexuality, the references to Von Einem's own homosexuality through the trial and the negative impacts that it might have had on the jury, and also how Mr. Justice White in his summation did not include references to the testimony given by Von Einem's relatives about his attendance at the birthday party on the day that the body was dumped. Okay. The appeals rejected. Um, I said that the trial, trial had been conducted fairly and the justly was decided justly. Uh, they did concede that Mr. Justice White should have included the evidence uh, relating to the birthday party. But uh, yeah, he's been in jail ever since. And he's still alive. And he's coming up on being eligible for parole, right? He's been eligible. Oh. 2007. Mm. And he's still in jail. <laughs> well, they also, I didn't include that. That's part of the other thing, but uh, they said that he um, was being investigated for allegedly raping another inmate in 2006, right before he was going to leave. So uh, not good behavior. <laughs> no. Um, he would... It, he wrote child porn in prison. Ew. Um, so yeah, they're just not letting... They're not worried about him. He's going to stay in there. Yeah. Which means that he, obviously, that adds to him obviously doing it. You abducted a 15-year-old and 
raped him. Raped him. Exactly. Oh, God. That's awful. And then didn't you mention that he was already under investigation for possibly murdering three people prior as well? Yeah. They Love dropped that. all those cases because yeah. they couldn't find the evidence for it. But, but I mean, looking at it now. Did it. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck. Well, that's fun. Depraved. Depraved. Awful. Depraved. Well, I've got a nice, fun little depraved one as well. Is it as depraved as this? It's pretty depraved. Is it a ghost? Um, it's got um, death. Uh-huh. Uh, a lot of murder. Uh, it's got... Um, Colts. Colts? Colts. Like, like the Indiana Colts. Oh, I thought you meant like a baby horse, a colt. No. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Um, it, it has gays. Uh, I mean, it's got it got everything in it. So Let's hear it. Let, let's talk about it. So I'm going to talk about the monster of Florence, the machine. Florence, Mississippi? What? No, we're going to Italy. So uh, I get to uh, use a bunch of Italian names here. So let's get into it. Uh, oh, there are, there are some. I, love <laughs> I was like, I don't think any, but th- there is. Um, so let's get into it. So the Monster of Florence is the uh, name used for, or used by the Italian media for a uh, unidentified serial killer uh, that was active in the province of Florence between 1986 and 19. Uh, no, numbers. They're always so fun. 1968 and 1985. Uh, the monster murdered 14 people. Uh, oh. It's a ghost. It's a monster Florence. He's here. He's doing no. it. No. Uh, so it's usually young couples that, uh, sec- that were secluded in search of intimacy. So they were uh, getting giggity uh, in wooded areas during... People? What? They're gay people? No. Oh, there there are some in there. Let me let me well, I'll, I'll get to it. I'll get to it. Um and they were normally in wooded areas during new moons. So it was uh, dork outside. Um so on the night oh, I was like cuz they're out in the new moon, they're like there for astrological reasons, but no, you said dork as in dark. Not a lot of light. Yes. Yeah. Because the astrological reason, <laughs> it's their dorks. It's like new birth, you know. Re, you know. I love new age. <laughs> oh my philosophies. gosh, new age philosophies. Um, so the night of August twenty first of nineteen eighty six, there was a mason worker named Antonio Lo Bianco, age twenty nine, and homemaker Barbara Locci. Uh, they were both shot to death with a twenty two caliber handgun in Signa, which is a small town uh, to the west of Florence. The couple were attacked in their car while Lochi's son, uh, Natalino Mele, uh, age six, lay asleep in the back seat. After waking up and finding his mother dead, the child fled in fright and reached a house two uh, kilometers away. So Lochi, who is a native of Sardinia, had been a well kn- well known in town for her uh, sexual promiscuity. Oh. Uh, they gave her the nickname Appa Regina, which means Queen Bee. <laughs> What do you think is uh, funny? It's like, okay, so you're calling her a slut in so many ways. <laughs> um, her older husband... though, it's better than, like, messy rabbit. Exactly, yeah. Um, her older husband, Steph- uh, Stefano Mele, uh, was eventually charged with the murder and spent six years in prison. However, while he was imprisoned, another couple was murdered using the same gun. Uh, several lovers of Lochis were suspected to be the perpetrators of the crime, and even Stefano... 
uh, stated on several occasions that one of them had killed her, but no evidence was found as other murders were committed while they were in prison. So essentially, as we'll see later in the investigation, uh, a lot of the uh, people focused on this murder specifically and people that were related to her. So like, do you guys think that this was like, uh, like a mafia thing? Because they, they just kept on putting people in jail randomly, and then another murder would happen. They're like, well, fuck. Like, got to let these guys go. I mean, is it, like, country? Is it near cities? Is it rural? Um, Small town to the west of Florence, yeah. Florence is a city, isn't it? Yeah. So I, guess, I mean, like, I think it could be, like, just country bumpkins. It'd be like, I can't give an Italian person a southern accent and feel good about it, but. But here we are. <laughs> They're like, Bubba, Bubba, I don't think that one of them boys down at the bar, the, at the saloon. Well, they were it. also blaming them, and because I think they were from Sardinia, and uh, the like, maybe you know different. I mean, that's prime mob time. Yeah, period, nineteen so. late nineteen sixties. No, I stick by my story of them being like country bumpkins country that just trying to blame people, Steve. Stay. We gotta get them boys down at the X <laughs> bar, <X-Lon>. bro. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, in 1982, the murders of Lobianco and Lochi were linked to more recent murders based on a tip from an anonymous writer who had possibly signed himself under uh, Un Cidadino Amico, a friendly citizen, uh, in a letter to police. Uh, so I'm like, okay, the murderer was obviously sending you guys letters. <laughs> As we'll see more of. Uh, on July 20th of 1982, the examining magistrate... Wait, a lot of time has passed. Yes. So, so this is still talking about the Lobianco and uh, Lochi murders. We're going to talk about this a little bit first, and then we'll go to the next murders. Okay. But yes, uh, almost 20 years has passed. Okay. <clears throat> yes, so the uh, examining magistrate, Vincenio uh, Tri- Tricomi... Uh, found five bullets and five shell casings uh, inappropriately stored in a folder among records of Melee's case file. Uh, authorities were unable to reconstruct the chain of custody of those pieces of evidence and did not request a scientific comparison, even though it would have been necessary to check whether they matched the ballistic report in 1968. So in new murders, uh, these bullets from the uh, first murders were just not part of evidence they were separated because they wanted to focus on sending her husband to jail and so i guess that they didn't compare them so as the spent cartridges were fired by a gun used in four similar crimes their presence in melee's case file suggested to law enforcement officers that the perpetrator of the more recent double murders was connected with them so they're like y'all stupid these are all connected so on september 15th of 1974 teenage sweethearts up uh, Pasquale. <laughs> uh, Pasquale? Uh, uh, just Pasquale. Pasquale Gentecore, uh, age 19, and uh, he was a barman, and Stefania Patini, uh, an accountant, age 18, were shot and stabbed in a country lane bar. Uh, I'm sorry, in a country lane, not a bar. Uh, that near, was my story. Yes, <laughs> near Borgo San Lorenzo, ha- while having sex in... Uh, Gentil Corre's Fiat 127. Uh, they were not far from a notorious discotheque. 
uh, called uh, Teen Club, where they were supposed to spend the evening with friends. Uh, Patini's corpse uh, had been violated with a grapevine stock and disfigured with 97 stab wounds. Uh, some hours before the murder, Patini had disclosed to a close friend that a weird man was terrifying her. Another friend of Patini's recalled that a strange man had followed and bothered the two of them during a driving lesson uh, a few days before. Several couples of uh, lovers who used to park in the same area, giggling in that area, uh, where Gentilcore and uh, Patini were murdered, stated that the particular area was frequented by voyeurs, and uh, a pair of them specifically had been acting very oddly. Um, so it's like, yeah, people just come and watch us have sex, and it's, you know, it's whatever. It's very Italian. Oh, super Italian. Um, so on June 6th of 1981, a warehouse man, Giovanni Afoji, and a, uh, age 30 and a shop assistant, Carmela de Nuccio, uh, age 21, were shot and stabbed near Sandicini, where the engaged couple both lived. De Nuccio's body was pulled out of the car and the killer had cut out her pubic area with a notched knife. Um, the next what morning. Cut it out. Uh, like cut out her vagina essentially. Yeah. Yeah. So the next morning, a young voyeur. This <laughs> is one of the funniest things that I saw while doing this research. It's just like the next morning, a young voyeur and paramedic. <laughs> Some, a young sexual pervert who worked for the hospital. <laughs> also a paramedic. <laughs> Uh, I don't know. Uh, uh, Enzo Spelletti, um, age 30, spoke about the murder before the corpses had been discovered. He spent three months in jail and was charged with murder before the perpetrator exonerated him by killing again. So once again, another person spent time in jail before they were like, all right, someone else died in the same way. It wasn't you. Go away. Um, So basically the police were like, we have no idea who the fuck this is. Like, let's well, just we'll put someone in jail for it. Put everyone in jail for it. There's going to be a lot more people that are going to end up in jail, and then killing happens again. They're like, oh, whoops, got the wrong person again. Um, so October 23rd of 1981, workman Stefano Baldi and uh, telephonist Susanna Cam- uh, Camby, so age 26 and 24 respectively, uh, who were engaged, were shot and stabbed in a park in the vicinity of uh, Calizano, uh, which is a city. Um, Camby's pubic area was also cut out just like Denuccio's. Uh, an anonymous person called uh, Camby's mother the morning after the murder to talk to her about her daughter. Uh, a few days before the murder, Susanna had told her mother that there was somebody tormenting her and even chasing her by car. Uh, on June 19th of 1982, mechanic Paolo Mayernardi age 22, and dressmaker Anatello Migliaroni. Migliarini, age 20, were shot to death after having sex in uh, Manardi's car uh, on a provincial road in Montespertoli. The first... You really picked this. Yeah, I did. <laughs> Montespertoli. I said it right. You didn't say it very Italian. Montespertoli. You don't have to put your hand up like that. That's that's uh, <laughs> ethnic. 
That's being you're not being very kind to Italian it, people, I think. Yeah, but I'm not being racist because Italians are you're white. You're literally eating spaghetti here at this table. <laughs> oh my gosh, stop drinking espresso. I also have my uh Italian wine. You've grown a mustache just for this? <laughs> Yes. So this time, the killer did not have time to mutilate the female victim as the road was relatively busy and several passing motorists had seen the car parked on the side of the road after its interior light had been turned on. Manardi was still alive when found but died some hours later in the hospital due to serious injuries. Manardi is believed to have heard or seen the killer approaching and attempted to drive away, only to lose control of his car and drive into a ditch on the other side of the road. Another con- a reconstruction of the event suggests that after shooting the couple, the killer drove Manardi's car for a few meters to hide the vehicle and the bodies in a woodland area nearby, only to lose control of the car and abandoned it in the ditch where it was discovered by a motorist only a few minutes later. So he got close to being caught. On September 9th of 1983, uh, Wilhelm Friedrich Hurstmeier and Jens Uwe Rusch, age 22, two students from Onsbruck, uh, West Germany, <laughs> were visiting Italy to celebrate an important scholarship that Meyer had just won. Uh, these are two boys, by the way. Weren't the last one two boys? No. No, it was Anatel. I thought that was a boy's name. Like, no. Like Mary or something. Mm. A boy's name. <laughs> it's Shelby. <laughs> Ashley. Ash. Oh, Ashley. Yeah. Courtney. How many Ashleys? Um. Not there's none. Oh, in my class, yeah. none. <laughs> none. None. Ashley. There's a Rocky though. No, I did not say that. <laughs> that is not not true. Uh, so Wilhelm, no, we're already talking about that. So they were shot to death in uh, their Volkswagen Samba bus in uh, Galuzzo. Um, Rusch's long blonde hair and small build could have deceived the killer into thinking that he was a female. Um, police suspected that the two students were actually gay lovers based on pornographic materials found at the scene. So they were celebrating a scholarship in Italy. Mm. Mm. With poppers. They were roommates. They were roommates. They were roommates. Uh, so on July 29th of 1984, law students Claudio Stefanici, age 21, and barmaid Pia Gilda Rotini, age 18, were shot and stabbed in Stefanici's... Stefa... Stef... Stefanici. Yeah. No. Stefan... Yeah, this is fine. I don't care. Uh, it is Stefanici. Fiat Panda... Uh, parked in a woodland area near Vocio. Uh, the killer the killer removed Rotini's pubic area and her left breast. Uh, there were reports of a strange man who had been following the couple in an ice cream parlor some hours before the murder. A close friend of Rotini recalled that she had confided that she had been bothered by an unpleasant man while working at the bar. On the night of the 7th or 8th of September 1985, Jean Michel Kravici Cravicivili, uh, who is a musician of Georgian ancestry, not from, like, Atlanta and, like, the country, Georgia. Um, and a tradeswoman, Nadine Marriott. Marriott. Of the hotels? <laughs> not spelled the same way. I think you're going to ding me on that. Uh, both from Audencourt, France. Where <gasps> sh- Are you from oh. there? 
<laughs> yes. I am. Uh, were shot and stabbed while sleeping in their small tent in a woodland area near San Casquiono. Uh, Cravichavili was killed a short distance away from the tent while trying to escape. Marriott's body was mutilated. Because the killer had murdered two foreigners, there was not yet a missing persons report. The killer was sent... Uh, I'm sorry. The killer sent a taunting note along with a piece of Marriott's breast to the state prosecutor, Sylvia Delmonica, uh, stating that a murder had taken place and challenging local authorities to find the victims. A person picking mushrooms in the area discovered the bodies a few hours before the letter arrived at Delmonica's desk. It was not... It was just out there picking mushrooms? Yeah, Europeans do that. Because hmm. they have wooded areas just everywhere. Yeah, but still. We got trees. I'm not trying to go out and get mushrooms from the wild. But they're fresh. Yeah, which means they've got shit on them. <laughs> it's just bear shit. Is well, not here. Better? It's just dog shit. Cat shit, mostly, here cat in shit. Houston. Yeah, cat shit. Yeah, yeah cat yeah, shit. Yeah, cat mm, shit. Mm, that's, I put that shit on everything. <laughs> So it was not until the uh, Foji Denuccio murders in 1981 that the police were like, hmm. Something's a little fishy here. Hmm. A lot of people did. What's up with that? <laughs> what's what's going on here? So a newspaper article about the Agentil Corps a Patini murder from 1974 caused the police to perform a ballistics test and confirm the same gun had been used in both murders. Uh, reporter Mario Spezzi coined the moniker... Uh, monster of Florence. After the 1982 murders, police leaked false information that Manardi had regained consciousness before dying in the hospital. Soon after, an anonymous tip called for the police to relook at the Lobianco Lochi murder from 1968. It was quickly determined that the same gun had been used after they were like, oh, that's where the fucking uh, bullets are <laughs> after they, you know, haven't been around. The confession and conviction of Lochi's husband, Stefano Mele, was subsequently revisited as Mele had been in prison during the later murders, so he was in jail for six years. And they were like, oh. Sorry. <laughs> so Mele's statement in police interviews were inconsistent, shifting the blame among his Sardinian relatives and acquaintances. So basically anyone who slept with his wife, he was like, what about, what about them? She was a whore. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, Francesco Vinci was arrested first. He was former lover of Lochis, whose car had been found hidden on the day of the false Mayanardi information had been leaked. Uh, Francesco was kept in custody for over a year, even during the 1983 murders. So, the murders happened, they still kept him. And I was like, what the fuck? He just How'd arrested. You get out and do that? Exactly. Uh, ex the examining magistrate, Mario Rotella, instead widened the net, arresting Mele's brother and brother in law, Giovanni Mele and Piero uh, Mucciarini. Uh, so now he's got four people in jail. Why would her brother murder her? And her brother in law. <laughs> um, so in 1984, no, no, I'm sorry, her brother, yeah, whatever. Uh, in 19, the 1984 murders occurred when the three suspects were in custody, so the police released them. So finally, it was like, okay, fine, we'll let you guys go. <laughs> it seems like I guess you couldn't have done it. <laughs> so Rotella focused on Francesco's brother, uh, Salvatore Vinci, him, uh, himself another lover and former lodger of 
uh, Barbara Lochis. So this woman was just out there getting it. Um, Vinci's first wife had died in a fire in Sardinia uh, that was ruled a suicide, although rumored to be a murder. After the final monster murder in 1985, Rotella arrested Vinci and charged him with the murder of his wife, intending to move from there to the other killings attributed to the monster. The trial in Sardinia instead acquitted Vinci, who walked uh, free. By this point, the chief prosecutor uh, thought the Sardinian trial... Uh, no, he thought the Sardinian trail was spent and uh, wanted to look into the possibility of the gun having been picked up by an unknown party after its use in the 1968 murder. So he was like, okay, okay, we're not finding anything. So actually what might have happened is that they still killed the first two, but then the gun was left somewhere else, and someone else took it up and kept on doing the exact same thing to a bunch of other people. Like, <laughs> And it just keeps, it's like a relay race. Exactly. Like, what the fuck? Very believable. <laughs> so in 1989, Rotella was then forced to officially clear all of the Sardinian suspects and withdraw from the case. So finally I was like, shut the fuck up, girl. Go to sleep. <laughs> like. I don't think you're going to get this. You literally jail. have arrested five people and these murders still kept happening and you still believed it was them. Like, the fuck? Uh, yeah. So while the use of computer analysis and anonymous tips um, were going on, a new suspect, Pietro uh, Pacciani, was found. Pacciani had been convicted both for rape and domestic abuse for uh, of his two daughters and for the 1951 murder of a man who had relations with his ex-girlfriend, for which he served 13 years in prison. The inspector... Uh, Perugini found incriminating evidence such as similarities between the 1951 murder and the monster killings, as well as the reproduction of Primavera by Botticelli and another painting thought to be Pacciani's. So they used a painting as evidence against him. Like, okay. Uh, people can't buy art. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. They can't. Okay. The only physical evidence uh, against Pacciani was an unfired bullet on this uh, that was the same brand as the monsters found in Pacciani's garden at the end of a lengthy search. So they found one bullet that was the same brand in his yard. And they were like, yep, that's it. So you got him. Uh, so Pacciani was controversially convicted in his initial trial in 1994. At his appeal, the prosecutor took Pacciani's side, citing lack of evidence and poor police work. As a result, Pacciani was acquitted and released in 1996. Perugini's uh, successor, Michelle uh, Guitari, Guitari, there you go. Um, tried to introduce new witnesses at the final hour, but was denied. A new trial for Pacciani was ordered by the Supreme Court, but he died in 1998 before it could begin. Instead, two alleged accomplices were then tried, Mario Vanni and Giancarlo Lotti. Vanni had been a witness at Pacciani's trial where he famously claimed the two men uh, merely to be picnic companions, which I'm like, is that a gay thing? It is. I love that, uh, which is a term that so then... Did you guys go on picnics together? Apparently, because of this trial, the term then entered, like, Italian vernacular. So, like, apparently they use picnic companions as a thing to describe things nowadays. What do you think people. Is, probably. That's what I'm thinking. So, Lottie uh, had been one of uh, Goitari's surprise witnesses claiming to have seen Pacciani and Vani commit uh, the 1985 murder. After many more sessions of questioning, he had begun to uh, incriminate himself in the murders as well. So the girl, stop talking. 
because <laughs> now you are also a problem. Uh, both were convicted and condemned to life imprisonment, though their sentences have been widely criticized and uh, people say that it wasn't them. So they still think that the murders are unsolved. So 2001, Guattari, who is now chief inspector for the uh, police unit called uh, Guidus, uh, which in Italian, you know, stands for something, but it's essentially a group for serial crimes, um, announced that the crimes were connected to a satanic cult allegedly active in the Florence area. In his testimony, Lottie had uh, spoken of a doctor who had hired Pacciani to commit the murders and collect the genitalia of women to use in rituals. Uh, Gretari justified this partly on the discovery of these uh, pyramidal stones um, near a villa where Pacciani had been employed. The stone, which Qatari suggested, was indicative of cult activity. So if you see a pyramid stone, cults. It's easily cults. Uh, what so, about naturally occurring pyramid stones? Well, apparently the these stones, uh, a lot of people criticized it and even laughed at this because these stones were used as doorstops all over <sighs> in the area. So, oh shit. A conspiracy. Exactly. Everyone's part of the cult. That's that's okay. So then everyone's part of the cult or no one's part of the cult. Everyone is. I think it's everyone. Uh, so the villa was searched, but nothing was found. Uh, Guattari, the chief prosecutor, uh, and the editor-in-chief of a magazine speculated that a pharmacist, Francesco Calamandri, uh, and a deceased physician from uh, Perug Perugia... Perugia. 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 Uh, Francesco Narodici uh, had been involved in the secret society ordering Pacciani and the others to, you know, do these murders. So they were like, there's this one physician and this pharmacist that uh, are the leaders of this cult and they're telling us to do these things. So Calamandre was put on trial for Narducci's, Narducci's body and, uh, I'm sorry, and Narducci's body was exhumed. Uh, in the end, it was like, you're fine. You're completely exonerated. And they found nothing on this dead man's body. So it's like, cool. And you just dug up the dead man for no reason. Um, so during the process, journalist Mario Spezzi was arrested uh, because he had begun investigating, investigating his own subject, uh, son of Sal Salvatore Vinci. Uh, so Mignini uh, claimed that he had... Uh, arrested this journalist because he was obstructing uh, investigation into the pharmacist and the um, physician uh, and said that actually this journalist is part of that cult too. So it's like, what the fuck? So after an international outcry, Spezzi was set free and his arrest was declared massively illegal. Uh, so Guattari, who is the lead uh, chief investigator, uh, and the guy that just arrested this journalist were indicted for abuse of office and the entire, um, like special police, special police force was dissolved <laughs> and got rid of. So then they deactivated all investigations into the monster of Florence. So they were like, yep, you, you, shut up. This is all over, whatever. Um, so in 2017, a freelance journalist, uh, with last name Amicone, um, conducted an investigation on his own that would lead him to find a connection between the monster of Florence and the Zodiac cases, Zodiac killer cases. Uh, Amicone's inquiry had been published in the Italian magazine Timpai and the news and a newspaper. Um, 
the suspect in, is a former superintendent of the Florence American Cemetery in Italy. Uh, his name is Joseph, a.k.a. Gluseppi. That's Giuseppe. No, it's it's an L, but also known as Giuseppe. Um, yeah, I'd never heard of Gluseppi or Gluseppi. Gluseppi. Gluseppi, yeah. Um, he was born in December of 1931 in New Jersey and had 20 years career in the army when he left it to move to Florence in 1974. Uh, this journalist wrote an account of uh, his partial admission in which he would have confessed. I'm sorry, his name, last name is Bel, Belvilacqua. Belvilacqua? It doesn't matter. Um, but Giuseppe, we'll just say Giuseppe. Um, so Amicone wrote an account of Giuseppe's uh, partial admission in which he would have confessed to Amicone being responsible of the murders attributed to the Zodiac Killer and the monster of Florence in an unregistered conversation occurring on September 11th of 2017. After the first publication in May of 2018, uh, Giuseppe denied this, even though uh, even threatened with a lawsuit. And Amicone was like, no, I'm going to keep uh, looking into this and accusing you of this stuff. So in 2021, Amicone claimed that uh, Giuseppe would have been an undercover uh, agent assigned to an investigation in San Francisco concerning um, the sergeants at the time uh, of the Zodiac homicides in 1969 and 1970. So while he was in the army, uh, while an army criminal investigator in Italy uh, in the area of 1970s, Amicone says that Giuseppe would have had access to a case file of the double murder near Florence in 1968, where bullets and shell casings had been improperly stored, and that Giuseppe replaced the pieces of evidence with spent cartridges shot by the gun uh, he would use in the monster homicides in order to link his future crimes to those murders for which he had an alibi. So um, Italian authorities collected his DNA just because of this journalist's accusations in late 2020 and in 2021 at the request of the attorney in charge of the investigation of the monster, uh, the investigations into Giuseppe resulting from Amicone's inquiry were closed. Proved that he was the Zodiac killer. Yeah, I know. Exactly right. Uh, so in justifying his request, the prosecutor affirmed that this journalistic inquiry is characterized by suggestions, assumptions, assert asserted intuitions, and it does not contain any factual element likely to rise to the dignity of a clue. So Amicone had been investigated for defamation due to a complaint from Giuseppe. So he was like, man, you over here fucking up my life for the past four years. I'm going to sue you. And so he did. Um, so there's apparently been... Many, many books and TV shows and films, uh, mostly in Italy, uh, about the monster of Florence. So I found that really interesting. So, yeah. So no idea who did it. There's people, many people went to jail for this, and yet the murders kept on going. So, and I don't know anything about the two guys that ended up getting uh, indicted for this. <laughs> I think it was the guy from New Jersey. You, you think the most recent investigation didn't do it? I just want it to be that. And yeah. I want him to also be the Zodiac killer. Also, he's 90. Yeah. He's almost 90. Somebody and so, like, he, <laughs> well, it's just funny to me that, like, this old man is just being like, yeah, you fucking did it. And he's like, <laughs> I just wanted to come to Italy <laughs> to see the world. I don't know why you're calling me after 5 p.m. 
I love that he's from New Jersey and it has an Italian background and we both just gave him country bumpkin. Oh, absolutely. Why are y'all calling me? It's just the easiest one. We're just used to it, okay? I can do New Jersey person. Listen, why are you calling me? Uh, So he's he's a little Jewish now? They're all Jewish. (laughs) It just happens. That's normal. (laughs) All religions go back to Judaism. There you go. (laughs) I love it. But yeah, so that's the monster Florence. Florence. Well, that was a wild ride. That was a wild ride. I told you, there's a lot of murders, a lot of people in jail. A lot of people. <laughs> Nobody knows. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. It was just like, let's arrest everyone in Florence and see what happens. Because hmm. if you go to jail, you can't... If, if you gotta... If you go... What am I trying to say? <laughs> if you shoot an arrow and it goes real high... If you stay in jail, you. you ain't gotta get ready for jail. Yeah, if that's you went jail, you ain't got to go to jail. <laughs> there you go. Exactly. Wow. It just works. It works out for everyone. So it was cults. Um, no idea you about that one. You hyped up the cult uh, function there a lot. And I was like, oh, there's going to be a cult. That's not a cult. It's not a cult. We have no idea. But, I mean, the fact that... He, I mean, he was cutting out women's vaginas. With a serrated knife. Uh-huh. And like, what part are you leaving? Like, I don't understand. I I don't want to know. I don't. I don't know. I did not investigate further, because I do not need that. Vis- visuals. No, I don't. I don't I, now I'm thinking about. It and I don't like it. Visuals. Vis- visuals. Visuals. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah. Wow. So that's monster floors. Wow. Um. You know what else is a great story? <laughs> <laughs> recent Gallup polls. Recent Gallup polls. That goes at the beginning. Yeah. But they have shown that Americans have reported feeling stress, worry, and anger at the highest levels in over a decade. While we are growing more and more aware of the effects of stress on our bodies and minds, we may not have considered the effects that our stress can have on our pets. According to studies, there is a synchronization between stress hormones in humans and their dogs. If you are a dog parent, you probably know that your pup is very good at reading your body language and can quickly pick up on how you're feeling. We're always working to reduce our own stress in any way that we can, but what about the anxiety we may have passed on to our dogs? Mm-hmm. Big Bones has a solution. CBD has been shown to help reduce stress and anxiety in both humans and dogs, and Big Bones has your dog covered. Made from organic, human-grade ingredients and full-spectrum hemp oil, their bones may offer some relief to your anxious pup. Check out BigBones.com for more information on CBD for dogs and other benefits it may provide. Big Bones offers free shipping on all orders over $25, and you can save 15% using promo code SPOOPY15. SPOOPY15. <coughs> 15. <coughs> yeah. That's a sound bite. I was clicking a button. Okay. <coughs> Uh, Big Bones is LGBTQ owned and operated and is based in Houston, Texas. Big Bones probably donates 10% of all profits to no-kill shelters in the U.S. Need your bones ASAP or want to support small businesses? Baked Bones are now available at Mandarin Mercantile in the Houston Heights or at Mandarin Mercantile on South Congress in Austin. Baked Bones! Oh, you hear that harmony? I love harmony. Oh, that's... That's another name. I know. I guessed it. <laughs> I know. But we'd, of course, always love to thank our sponsor, Economy, Economy Works. Works. 
They're a freelance talent network that connects professionals with project work. If you're a company that needs help writing job descriptions, conducting marketing analysis, managing your social media platforms, EconomyWorks has an extensive talent network of freelance professionals ready to help you do more with less. EconomyWorks. When we work, the economy works. Find out more about EconomyWorks at EconomyWorks.com. That's E-C-O-N-O-M-I-W-O-R-K-S.com. EconomyWorks. Yeah. I was trying to follow you. You were just all over the place. I was following you. No, you were all over the place. Well, I was, yeah. But I do that on purpose. That's just my life. Yeah. It's just who I am. Anyways. We'd also love to thank our sister podcast. Let's, Let's talk, talk about, about gay stuff. stuff. Let's talk about gay stuff is um, a podcast where they talk about gay stuff. And current Could events. Could you imagine? And books. And whatever you talk about. Like young people things. Young people things. Because I'm so young. Look at this skin. I see the wrinkles. That's just stress. Well, anyways. Uh, Chris is there. Yeah. And he talks about the gay stuff. You and, do. And uh, it's a good time. I just talked if about... If you want to learn something, head over to the Let's Talk About Gay Stuff podcast. I just talked about Aubrey Blaza. Aubrey Blaza? Aubrey Blaza. Um, she was on SNL. I know. It was It was pretty good. I haven't watched it yet. It was pretty decent. This is all right. It's pretty the good. best one was... Um, there's one where they're all in a beauty pageant. And it's funny. And Aubrey goes, France! Oh, because that was the thing. I don't know what that is. Oh, well, so they were having, there was a beauty pageant that was going on, and it was like women from all the, it was like Miss Universe or something like that. They were coming on and shouting the their name of the country. And everyone's like, oh, you know, Argentina, and you know, whatever. And France comes up, and she just goes, France! <laughs> and walks off, and I'm like, oh, well, they made fun of that. And I didn't get the reference. Yeah, so now you do. So mm-hmm. that works. I really wish I could get back on Twitter. Mm, I don't think so. I'm I'm feeling like for the past three days, it's just had issues with just refreshing. I'm like, okay. Am I supposed to join Mastodon now or something? I don't, I, know, I don't do. know. I don't know where. I don't feel like it. people on Mastodon are funny. No. I think they're like, we're actually here for current events. Then, then they tried to make Hive relevant, and then Hive crashed, and then they just never fixed it. So I I don't know what I don't know what people do anymore. I don't know. Are we all going to Instagram? I'm not doing that. I don't take pictures. I don't either. But I post a lot of funny memes on my stories. That's all I use them for. But I take all the memes from Twitter, so I have to have I'm a source. Go, I'm gonna go back to MySpace. Mm. I'm gonna get a Zenga. That's what they, they made the joke that when the world needed him most, he disappeared, and it's Tom. what was it, Tom? Yeah. yeah, he was everyone's friend, everyone's first friend. That's a little creepy, a, but a great friend of the R Spoopy podcast. Yeah, I never had a MySpace. Can you believe? Well, you obviously were never cool. And I, I used that. So. I used well, yeah, we knew that, but uh, I had I used an AOL. <laughs> okay. Aim. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> As if. Did you have a live journal? Uh, I don't know this. No, I did try Blogspot for a while. <laughs> I wonder if I can ever go back and find my old blogs. I never want to find anything that I've no, seen on the internet before 2010. Not. No. 
Anyways, anyway, uh, that's our podcast. Thanks for listening to our podcast. This is our spoopy podcast. Um, it's with me and Chris, and we talk about stuff, scary stuff, uh, <laughs> sometimes horror stuff, and it's a long but good time. It's a long and good time. Thanks for coming. Thank you for coming. Thank you for coming. Uh, we much appreciate. Bye. Bye. Talk to you later. Uh, get spooky with it. Oh yeah, remember to get <laughs> spooky with, with it. it.